So this month of October, we have been letting go. It's a great month for that theme, of course, as the trees show us how to do it, how to burn bright and then slowly let go of the leaves as we let go of the summer and our plants. All last night, my Facebook feed was popping up with people mourning the outdoor plants that they were bringing in to save them, perhaps, from the frost. Our first week in October, we talked about letting go of um, old traditions and religions, about sort of losing the religions, perhaps, of our childhood or losing the secular experience of our childhood as we explored a new congregation and community together. So that was easy. Of course, we've all successfully done that and healed all of our past religious wounds. Good job, you guys. On the second week, last week, we had our guest speaker, Chris, who talked about letting go of white supremacy, and as he called it, the sort of Voldemort death thinking that gets into our minds. We've all let go of white supremacy as well. That's probably done uh, just really uh, internationally, so... um, No big deal there. It's hard. It's hard to let go. I love that quote that I shared on the first Sunday. Everything I've ever let go of has claw marks on it. And as we deepen and explore with the theme, I think more and more about those claw marks that we leave, the way that we hang on. And indeed, today we are talking about perhaps the hardest thing of all to let go of, control. (laughs) This is the platform that I have to say again and again to myself. You know, they say sometimes that, um, that, that preachers preach what it is they need to hear. Poets write the poem that they need to receive. Songwriters create the song they need. And surely letting go of control is a tricky one for me. I thought about this a couple of years ago when um, we were up at my parents' for Christmas time. And uh, I had picked out a dress for Marcella to wear. (laughs) Marcella is my older daughter. She was um, five, I guess, at the time. And uh, we had talked about the dress, and I tried not to make a big deal out of it, you know, just sort of like, oh, you might wear this dress that I picked out and chose specifically for you that matches the one that I picked out and chose specifically for your sister. But I don't know, whatever, you know, it's up to you. It's no big thing for me. It was a big thing for me. And so she didn't wear that dress. Um, (laughs) But it took hours that day of... um, of trying to learn to let go of the dress for me, letting go of my dream of the Christmas card picture we would have of these girls in their matching dresses. Probably the little one would have spilled on hers by then anyway. It doesn't even really matter. It's hard letting go of that control we think we might have. I think often of a few different kinds of control that we imagine that we have in our lives or that we try to hold on to. I think about self-control, that whole arena of life. I think about the idea of control between people. That's the dress at Christmas time. And then I think about the really big one, 
the control of outcomes in the world, the control of how life unfolds. The first one, in some ways, is the easiest to dissect, I think, self-control. I'm a believer in self-control myself. It's one of the things that I try to teach to my children and learn. And yet, I also understand the importance of having places in our lives where we get to let our control slip. Our mask, our sort of professional outlook, or, or the way that we, um, that we maintain our emotionality, that we have places in our life where we can just let go of all of that. People in our life with whom we can be uncontrolled in some way, fully, deeply, authentically, whatever it is that we are feeling. For me, self-control and letting go of that self-control is all about the places in our life where we can be fully ourselves and where we hold ourselves more tightly. Now, control between people, that's a little bit of a trickier one, I think. We think often about power struggles, but I think there's a a good side as well to letting go of control, to to ceding control and taking control, the kind of give and take that we can find in healthy relationships. I think about the music for this Sunday, as you might know, might have read in the program last week, this Sunday, Perry Bider won uh, at the past auction, won the right to choose the music for a Sunday. And in fact, because Perry is an incredible musician himself, not only did he choose the music, but he in fact arranged most of the music that the chorus is singing today. Now, typically, Bailey and I are the music choosers. You know, I think like the deciders. Remember the deciders? I'm the decider. We're the music deciders. And so here we were faced with a Sunday where we had no control over the music at all. Instead, the music would be shaped and decided by someone else, and we would fit ourselves in. That, to me, is the kind of back and forth in control that we can find in positive ways, you know. The other kind of control between others is the power struggle part. The kind when both of you are holding onto a rope and pulling. This happens to me most frequently with my children. (laughs) I'm sorry to say. And it's a long journey to learn how to either let go of the rope, of course you want to do that gently enough that the other person doesn't fall, or how to not pick up the rope in the first place. There's a systems thinker, Ed Friedman, who writes, um, wrote a series of fables, um, kind of little stories about people in life, and, and, um, and they relate to ways of being with each other. And he told a story um, in, this, in this one fable about a man who was walking along a bridge, and another man was holding a rope and came up to him and said, um, here, take this end. Will you hold this end of the rope for me? And um, so, you know, the guy said, well, sure, I I guess so. I'll I'll hold it. So he held on to it. And then the other man, holding on to his end of the rope, jumped off the bridge. And there they were, holding the rope. And the man who had jumped said, well, don't let go. If you let go, I'll I'll fall. You know, I'll I'll fall to my death. And 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 the man holding the rope said, well, 
but I I mean, I have, to, I have a life. I have, to, I have to get off this bridge at some point. I was going somewhere, but, but you can't let go, said the man at the end of the rope. It's a fable about the ropes that we pick up that aren't really ours to hold and how we sometimes get stuck holding them there at the top of the bridge, unable to let go because now we've gotten ourselves stuck in this situation where perhaps we needn't have picked up the rope in the first place, the one that bound us to the other person jumping off. There's a great meme that's been going around Facebook, which I like a lot. It's from a Polish proverb, they say. I don't know if it really is or not. But it's uh, not my circus, not my monkeys. Not my monkeys, not my circus. Which one? Not my circus, not my monkeys. Have you seen that one? It's about the idea of figuring out exactly what you have control over and what you don't. How to not pick up that rope before someone jumps off holding on to the other end. Not my circus, not my monkeys. It's a little more challenging as a parent to really um, live by that maxim because there are your children. They are sort of actually literally your little tiny monkeys running around there in your house. And yet to figure out exactly what it is that's truly your own to hold, truly your own to control. So often when we get ourselves stuck in a push-pull, it can help to articulate what is my own circus, my own monkeys. Frequently, the thing that is ours to control pretty much comes down to being us alone. We can control our reactions. We can notice how we feel. We can control and change our behavior, but not typically someone else's, especially not when they are five, (laughs) especially not when they're a, a person, you know. The big one, though, I think... The big piece of control that is hard to give up is how the world unfolds, how our own lives unfold. That's the one that we tell ourselves as a lie over and over again, that if we just go this way and that way, life will unfold just how we imagine it, that, that, that A will cause B as though there's some sort of perfect arc to the universe. This is one of the times when people most frequently tell me they wish that they believed, you know. They mean, I think, you mean when you tell me that, that you wish you believed there was that arc to the universe. You wished you believed that someone was in control, fixing things so that they would work out just so. There are lots of kinds of different beliefs here about God and imagery and theists and atheists and agnostics, but there are relatively few of us, I think, in this community who do hold that belief that someone is placing things just as they ought to be, making sure that everything works out to its eventual end. And I understand the wish to believe that. Let go and let God, the phrase goes. It will all work out. God is in control. 
I think there's a sense that that faith would feel reassuring, would provide an assurance that there's a plan there, and so we don't need to worry. The Buddhist response to that, to the idea, to the relax, God is in control piece, the Buddhist response, I think, would be relax, nothing is in control. Relax, it just is. But there's a fear to that, I think. We wonder where the comfort can come if nothing is in control, if we can't trust in things working out. I heard a member of this congregation once talk about a tragedy she had experienced many, many years ago, and her trust in finding comfort in the idea of randomness, the idea that indeed nothing is in control, sometimes awful things just happen. We in this community don't offer a promise that everything will work out well, Instead, what we offer is a faith in each other to be there through the not working out well. We offer an assurance that the community will stand with us or that others will come and hold our hands or sit near us. Pema Chodron, who wrote the wonderful book, When Things Fall Apart, She offers wisdom, I think, for those of us who sit there thinking, relax, nothing is in control. Her language is not exactly in this quote what you might expect from the wise Buddhist teacher, but it gets to the heart of it. Rather than letting our negativity get the better of us, she writes, we could acknowledge that right now we feel like a piece of shit and not be squeamish about taking a good look. I love those words. (laughs) I love the realness of them, you know, that sometimes life just does feel so far out of control, so different than what we had planned or expected, that noticing the reality of it, the hardness of it, is where we need to be. I think, too, we can practice letting go of control over time, practice in the little ways, you know, so that when the big one comes, when we see that life is really wildly out of our expectations, out of control, we know how to manage it a little better. I think about dishes breaking. I try to use the phrase to hold tightly to the things you love and lose them lightly. You know, when they fall to a crash on the floor, losing earrings as they go along. I was working on a jigsaw puzzle um, over uh, quite some period of months. It was really complicated, and it was shaped like a a chicken. And then it had little chicken pieces, and it was a whole farm scene. I was about, oh, four-fifths of the way done. And someone was cleaning up and dumped it all back into the box. There are so many 
times to practice letting go. (laughs) There's a country song I love um, that Patty Loveless sings. I was trying to remember it the other day, and I finally found it. It's a heartbreak song, like most good country songs, of course. And, And she sings, Forgetting you is not that hard to do. I've done it a thousand times a day. A thousand times a day, we get to practice little losses, little letting goes, noticing that the day didn't work out precisely how we planned. We didn't make it to platform quite at 11 o'clock. It was more like 11.04, and it's okay. Just let it go. Our coming-of-age teens and parents, many of them today are on a ropes course I imagine them out there on these big trees that they walk along. I really hope I'm not the parent when my children get to coming of age that goes on that ropes course. As they walk along, they're safe, of course. They're on a belay. But I imagine them practicing letting go as they fall. It's an amazing thing. My daughter loves to climb on belay up these huge inflatable or rock climbing walls. And when she gets further, when she gets to the the top of where she knows she can go, you know, you can see she'll try for a little while to reach up and then make a judgment call. I'm not going to make it any further. And she just pushes off and bounces down all the way. It's an amazing thing to watch, the trust she has that the belay will catch her. She just pushes off and goes down. We have lots of opportunities in a community like this to learn about letting go and in big and hard ways when we lose people in this community And in little and fun ways, when we wonder at the beginning of a Sunday morning exactly what will happen that morning, when our toilets perhaps malfunction and we cope, we, now I have terrible metaphors about letting go in my mind, so I'm just going to give you all a minute to enjoy that humor and um, get in touch with your inner 10-year-old. Okay. The staff and board are trying to embrace the spirit of playfulness, not 10-year-old humor in particular, but playfulness more broadly, a spirit of experimentation. (laughs) This platform certainly with the music is one aspect of that. But it's hard to experiment, you know. It's hard to try something new because you really don't know how it might work out, and you do want to control it so it's as good as possible, and you know something won't work. Practice letting go. There are things we can do, I think, to, to improve our practice of letting go, the little letting go that helps then with the big ones, I do that body scan that Ellen taught us during the meditation frequently, both myself and with my kids. And sometimes if I'm having a hard time, I'll hold on to it really tight. Do you ever do this? And then you can blow it out, you know, out of my control. Can't do anything more with that. Yesterday, my girls and I were walking on a nature trail, 
And Joanna, the little one, um, found a, a thing of pine needles that she really wanted to take home with her. Um, she felt it was the perfect, I'm not sure, broom. it was like a broom, it was a wand, it was a possibly a tiara at one point. Well, it was a nature conservancy where we were walking and we were trying to teach her the concept of conservancy means that the things that are found there in nature stay in that particular space and don't go home with you. And it was a multi-hour walk and a multi-hour conversation about that little pine needle brush and how she wouldn't be able to take it with her. There were some tears and some hard times, and and she decided in the end that she could indeed let it go. I have a picture of her going up to the side of the trail where she made a special space for it and hid it so that it would be carefully kept, so that it would be loved and treasured as much as she loved and treasured it. And then later that day, we read a beautiful children's story called The Quilt Maker's Gift. I don't know if you know it, but it's a story about generosity, really. It might come back when we, when we do simplicity um, in the spring as our theme. But it, it, it's a story about a king who has all of these wonderful presents, so many incredible things that he owns, and, um, but he's not happy. And he wants a quilt from a quilt maker who only gives her quilts away to the poor. Uh, she won't give one um, or sell one to the king, not for any amount of money. And she says, in fact, you have to get rid of all of your possessions. With each one that you give away, I'll add a little piece to the quilt. And so, of course, as the story goes along, he gives his things away and gets happier and happier as he sees the smiles on the faces of people who have received these unbelievable presents from him. And finally, he has nothing, and she has his quilt all finished. But I noticed when I was reading the story that the quilt, what she's, what she's sewn into the quilt are little pictures of each thing that he's given away. That's what the quilt becomes. And I thought about that quilt and the pine needles so carefully put there. And I thought about the practice of letting go and how in that letting go, as we let go of the things we thought could be, the control we thought we had, the Christmas dress we thought would look so beautiful, how we manage to make a quilt at the same time of all those things we have left go, let go. You know what I mean? That our life becomes the picture of the things we cherished and lost, the expectations or dreams, the myth that we knew how it would work out, those stories we told ourselves, those beautiful things, the dishes that broke, They're all woven into the quilt of our life, these things we have let go of. I know I can tell when I am holding too tightly to control of outcome, you know, I've had times in my life with my children and my health and and all sorts of different things when I have said to myself or to Another person, you know, I would be fine getting through this, really. It would be no problem if I could only just see how it would work out in the end. That's all I need. I need, like, the 20-second video of the end of this where I'm okay, (laughs) and then I'll be fine right now. 
And then sometimes, sometimes I have those moments where a fork in the road is ahead of me or, or a decision will come and I find that I really and truly am not attached to the outcome. Have you ever had that moment? It's an amazing thing when you realize it. When you think this could go one of two ways and both have good things and both have bad things. And either one, I'll manage. It can't be the fake-out kind. I try to fake myself out with that feeling a lot. I did that with the Christmas dress. I remember about two hours into the Christmas dress debacle, I said to myself, this is a beautiful moment to practice non-attachment, and I'm going to be not attached to what my child wears for my family's celebration, and anything will be perfectly fine. Look how spiritually adept I am. But it turns out... It turns out that actually I thought that if I did that, then she'd wear the dress. <laughs> Have you done that? You know, you think if I let go of this completely, then what I want will happen. <laughs> oh, it doesn't work that way. It's such a bummer. That's the fake non-attachment. <laughs> but sometimes you get to the real non-attachment The one where when she comes down in polka dot leggings and a plaid top, you think, I love that. That's okay. And it really is. Pema Chodron has more wisdom about that. She she talks about avoiding the idea that we think there's a right resolution. You know, a one way that it should be. I think it blows apart that whole concept of control because control has embedded in it the idea that there's one way we want it to work out, one way it should work out, that either someone can figure out for us or we can see in our 20-second video. Children writes, we think that the point is to pass the test or overcome the problem, but the truth is that things don't really get solved. They come together and they fall apart. Then they come together again and fall apart again. The healing comes from letting there be room for all of this to happen. Room for grief, for relief, for misery, for joy. That's the beauty of letting go, I think. The opportunity to notice all that happens as it's happening. To let go fully of the idea that you're at A and you want to get to B. Sometimes we can let go of the idea that it's a straight shot. We think, well, the road will curve. That's okay. I'm all right with that. We'll go through a few outfits before we finally wear the Christmas dress I picked out. (laughs) But the real letting go is being at A and just being at A. (laughs) Learning that B isn't really there. It's a figment of our imagination that we'll reach B someday. We'll always just be at different A's sitting there. Mindfulness can help with this. It can be part of that practicing. You could listen to the country song about losing you a thousand times a day over and over again if you wanted. That would be a kind of mindfulness. (laughs) But there are other things, too. 
We have a mindfulness workshop coming up here at West that starts tomorrow evening. It runs for three weeks, but you're welcome to just come to one of those. And I encourage you, if you've never tried mindfulness or you have and you want to get back into it or you're an absolute expert and you don't care at all what your child comes down in on Christmas Day, I encourage you to check it out. It's a way to practice. I want to close with a story from Pema Chodron. This is from The Wisdom of No Escape, How to Love Yourself and Your World. And I would say, how to stay at point A. There's a story of a woman running away from tigers. She runs and runs, and the tigers are getting closer and closer. When she comes to the edge of a cliff, she sees some vines there, so she climbs down and holds on to the vines. Looking down, she sees that there are tigers below her as well. Then she notices that a mouse is gnawing away at the vine to which she is clinging. And she also sees a beautiful little bunch of strawberries close to her, growing out of a clump of grass. She looks up, tigers. And down, tigers. She looks at the mouse. Then she just takes a strawberry, puts it in her mouth, and enjoys it thoroughly. Tigers above, tigers below. This, children writes, is actually the predicament that we are always in, in terms of our birth and death. Each moment is just what it is. It might be the only moment of our life. It might be the only strawberry we'll ever eat. We could get depressed about it, or we could finally appreciate it and delight in the preciousness of every single moment in our life. It's only point A.